Last week, I explained to you all that we are in a series of, in Genesis called Genesis Life to Life, looking at characters throughout Genesis and seeing how that relates to us. But I also described to you that we cannot go through every piece of Genesis together. We would be here for a year. So you have homework, and your homework is to read different pieces of Genesis before you get here. I told you last week you had to read five pages, five whole pages. Look at how small they were. And if you didn't do it, you're forgiven, and you're still welcome here, and you won't be behind, I promise. But this week, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Okay, you're going to have five chapters to read, because next week we're going to start Abraham's story. And I'm going to ask you to read Genesis chapters 15 through 20. Now, a chapter is not five pages. We are not in school. That's not the way it works here. A chapter in the Bible, especially in Genesis, is like a column and a half. So, you know, it's not a lot of reading, but it will set you up to just be immersed in the story as we get there next week. So remember for next week to read Genesis chapters 15 through 20. Today we are in the story of Noah. We are going to be reading from Genesis 6, chapter, uh, verses 5 through 22. Let us begin. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of man, of human race, had become, on all the earth, and that every inclination of the hearts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among people of his time, and he walked with faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives, with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female to keep them alive with you, to have every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now listen. I don't know if you are like me, but as I read this story now, 
as somebody who's graduated from seminaries, for somebody who's on, in a doctoral program, somebody who has studied the Bible a lot. I have the same response to this story as when I first started reading the Bible as a non-believer. I think, how is it possible that a God who is good, a God who is loving, a God who is kind, a God who is all-knowing, that the answer to the problems on earth would be to kill everything on earth, all the people, all of the animals? How is it possible that my God, the God that I love, the God that I know, the God that has gotten to know me, the God who has saved me, redeemed me, how is it that same God couldn't think of another way to fix the problems that were happening on earth in this particular period of time in Genesis? You guys ever thought like that? You ever wondered why in the world so many people had to die in order for a problem to be fixed? It's so hard to tackle some of these issues in scripture. And I'll tell you, as I have grown in my faith, it doesn't mean that I've answered every mystery of faith. Because the reality is, as big as God is, and as much as I grow, God remains big. God remains a mystery. God remains bigger than me. But that doesn't mean that there aren't answers for us to be had as we sit in Scripture. And the only way that we can understand, the only way that we can find answers is to sit. To sit in this space. And to ask God to show us what we need to see. And when I am digging into this, and when I was digging into it this week, and as I've tried to reconcile narratives like this, because the Old Testament has lots of narratives like this, but I'm going to tell you the Old Testament is one of my favorite parts of the Bible because the people in the Old Testament are you and me. <laughs> they are just like you and me. They are broken, and they are hurting, and they are struggling, and they need God. They are so relatable. And in this narrative, what I find is a story, is a, a structure that is so incredibly relatable. The first clue that we see to the story is looking at it from God's point of view, because as we look at scripture, when I left you last week, we had seen God's creation, the beginning of everything. God didn't have to create the heavens and earth. God didn't have to create humans. God decided to. God chose to. God created us because God loves us. God created it, and it was good, really good. And then humanity decided that humanity wanted the powers of God, not to let God be God. And so we took what God made and what God made to be good, and we broke it. Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden, and in leaving perfection, sin and brokenness entered the world. And in that sin and brokenness, they began to procreate. That's fun. 
They had their first children, Cain and Abel, and you see in Cain and Abel the first real evidence of evil. And if you didn't get a chance to read that this week, I encourage you to, because it's relatable, the feelings that these boys have for each other. But it's evil. And the evil that begins with them starts to grow on earth until the point where we get where Noah is living. And Noah, at this point in time, we're told, is the only human on the face of the earth who has any sort of righteousness, who has any sort of goodness left in him. And the rest of humanity is nothing but evil. In fact, all of their thoughts, all of their imaginations, all of their doings doesn't stem from anything but bad, anything but negative, anything but evil intent. And we have to remember that God is father. God is creator. God created every one of those humans, every one of them. And so I had to put myself in the feet of God, which, you know, we never should do, but sometimes we have to to try and relate. And I was thinking, okay, if I'm the parent here, I'm just devastated because my creation, the things that I loved, the things that I created to be good, to give goodness to, are nothing but evil. And everything I try to do to bring them back home fails. They continually choose to ignore me. They continually choose to go down the wrong path. And I think that I know, as we sit out here today, that many of you have had this experience in your life, either with your own children, family members in your life, or you yourself, maybe you were the child that was raised in goodness, but at some point turned away to darkness. And it didn't matter what your loved ones did. It didn't matter how much they loved you or called you home or how many times they tried to help you. You kept turning back towards the darkness. Or maybe it's a son or a daughter that's like that in your life or a grandchild who no matter how many times you help them, how many times you bail them out, how many times you try and fix something for them, they refuse to continue down a path that is good they can't seem to grapple with life, and they just continue to fail. You know that feeling of chaos and brokenness. You can understand God's disappointment at a human level. Well, then you multiply it by a gajillion because you're not God, and he is. And this is where God is, is at the moment where God decides to rectify the situation. God is a parent. God is creator. God is trying to fix what God meant for good that turned to bad. But that still puts us at the fact that I still think there's 4,275 ways you could have fixed it. That didn't include killing all of heaven and earth. I mean, I can't list all of those ways, but I bet you if I sat down, I could try and list all of those ways for you. And I'm... In my life, when I have had times that are difficult, when I have had struggles that I have gone through and I've looked to God to fix those struggles or to walk with me through those struggles, I'll tell you what that's looked like. I've sat and I've prayed and I've said, God, I'm having this issue. I need you to fix it. And if you don't mind, would you fix it by 
doing this and this and this and then this and this and this. And then when it's all fixed, it would be great if it looked exactly like this. Because when we go to God, we typically have an idea of what we want the end to look like, right? We typically have an idea of what the outcome should be. Because we're smart. And we know, what, we know what good is. And every time we enter into these times of difficulty and these times of struggle and these times of chaos and hurt and pain, more often than not, because we are human, we enter into with those human expectations of our God and Creator. The human expectation of, well, my grandfather, who is very young, is sick. And since he's young and a very good man, and has done his whole life things that you have wanted him to do, you should heal him. And nothing less than healing is going to be okay. Or how about that baby? That baby that was born at 26 weeks. God, I know you can do anything. You're going to heal that baby. Or my husband, who's been cheating on me. My husband's not cheating on me. Sorry, I have to be really careful with my examples. You might read into them. But for some of you, that's been a real thing. You're going to fix that. And anything less than my desired outcome means that you didn't work, means that you didn't fix things, means that you were not here for me, God. Because we're human. Our son, this is a real part of our life. Our middle son has dyslexia. And all of his life, my husband told me, I bet you he has dyslexia. And I said, uh-uh, ain't no way. He does not have dyslexia. He just has a hard time reading, but I know he does not have dyslexia. Well, thousands and thousands of dollars in tests later, he has dyslexia. In the first grade, January, teachers know this, you never do this. We took him out of first grade or second grade and moved him back to first grade. You don't do that. We did. He was struggling. If you've met our middle child, he is the most outgoing, gregarious human being on the face of the planet. But at that point in second grade, he was the most dour, sad, beat up little boy. And we were doing everything we could to help him, and nothing was working, and we had no idea. And we, before we figured out the diagnosis, there was all of this time and all of these treatments we were trying and all of these things that we were trying to help him. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and people prayed, and the church prayed, and we prayed. My friends, it wasn't until... That kid entered the sixth grade that we saw any relief, that we saw any sign that things were going to change in his life. And we were working that whole way through. We were praying that whole way through. We were struggling. Days when I was dropping him off to school and he was walking into school crying his eyeballs out, not wanting to be there, me knowing that I had to take him because he can't stay home every day of his life. Me also knowing that if God is as powerful as I believe God to be, he could change that boy's life in an instant. 
So why didn't he? Why did he have to go through all that pain? Every one of us here has been through something, more than one thing, that has turned your faith upside down, that has made you wonder where in the world God is, has made you wonder why God is not showing up the way you want God to show up, has made you wonder why the outcome is not the outcome you are expecting. And what we learn from Noah what we learn from this unbelievable scene of death and destruction is something that you and I need to take today and carry it through the rest of our lives because the point is not the path that God chose. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have an answer to that. You're going to have to wait to ask God in heaven because that's what I'm going to ask because I know I'm not going to have an answer to that on earth because I'm not God. But what I do have for you is Noah's experience and what we can learn from his experience with God. And what we're told, the clue that we pull out of this is that Noah, out of all of the people on the face of the earth, was the only one who was righteous, was the only one who was good, was the only one who had a walk with God. Think about what his life was like. If you are the only one on the face of the earth who has any relationship with God, do people like you? Probably not. Do you get along with others? It's hard. Do you have a lot of friends? I don't know. But this man, who I'm going to tell you right now is not sinless because he was human, so don't get that Noah was sinless. He just had a relationship with God. And what did God do with that relationship? God changed the world with that relationship. You see, when we look at what happened here, we put ourselves in Noah's shoes. Now imagine being Noah. God comes to you. God says, yo, Noah, I got a plan. Listen, I want you to build this boat. It's not a boat, friends. And I want you to build it. Hey, I know you're not a builder, and I don't, you know, don't know much about boats, but I'm going to give you specific instructions, okay? So don't worry about that. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And then after you build this ginormous boat, I'm going to ask you to go get all these animals. Yeah, um, all of them. Not just a few birds or dogs. All of the animals. One of each of them. Have fun with that. And then I want you to get food, enough food, for you, the animals, and your family. Then get in the ship and wait, because I'm gonna kill everybody on the face of the earth. Just imagine that being your experience. I'm gonna tell you right now, if God told me that, I would tell Joe I'm checking into a mental institution, that he's got in charge of the children, because I'm basically crazy. If I heard that, I would think I was crazy. I'm not kidding. But what did Noah do? Verse 22. What did Noah do? He did it. It says Noah did everything. And how did he do it? Just as God commanded him to. 
Noah did everything, every crazy, ridiculous thing that God asked him to, just as God asked him to. And so when I first was creating this, when I first was thinking about this week, I'm thinking, okay, the point is obedience. The point is, as we obey, God uses us to change the world, but we cannot get to obedience. That's not the first step. You see, Noah was only available to God to be obedient to God because he was first walking with God. You see, when you and I go to God and we're seeking God's help in our lives, we have a relationship, most of us. But do we have a deep enough relationship to hear this type of instruction from God? Do we have a deep enough relationship to hear God asking us to move, to hear God telling us the things that we need to be doing to participate in the chaos and the brokenness in our lives or in our loved ones' lives? Are we that close to God? I know that when I pray, I have my list. And I'm saying, God, fix this person. God, fix that person. God, fix this person. God, fix that country. God, do this. God, do that. How am I ever supposed to hear a word of instruction if all I'm doing is telling God what to do? That's not a relationship. That's a dictatorship where I'm in charge. You see, what we're invited to is a walk with God, is a relationship with God that is bi-directional. Yes, we can ask those things. Yes, we can inquire of God. But we do not get to be in the place of God. We need to be in a place where God can speak to us, where God can move in us, where God can direct us. Then we hear the word. Then we hear the directions. And when we hear the directions, we have the choice whether or not we're going to obey. That's what we see happening here in Noah. And I'm going to tell you, I still think it would have been hard to obey what Noah heard. And I'm going to tell you, in my life, I have heard God tell me to do things that I thought were the craziest things I've ever heard. One time God told me to take up running, and I said, you're stupid. I said that to God. I'm not kidding you, and I'm a pastor, but I think running's the stupidest thing on the face of the planet, but I did it for a lot of years until I got in a car accident, and it was the best thing I ever did. I got a cat out of it. It followed me home one day, still in my house. But I thought it was crazy. I'm like, I don't run. I'm not made for that. But the only reason why I heard that was because I had a relationship. And God used those things in my life, that pattern of exercise, that pattern of connection, to draw me into a deeper relationship. And actually, all of that running was happening during the most stressful times of my life. When Keaton was being diagnosed with dyslexia, it was the same time that we were adopting Maylee. And it was the same season when God was using me in running, talking to me, walking with me, speaking into my life. You see, we don't get to pick how God works. We don't get to pick the how. And I'm never going to understand the how of this. But as Kyle pointed out, there's a rainbow that we get to look to. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, you know that is God making a promise to you, to you specifically, that God is with you, 
that God wants to be in relationship with you, that God is going to provide for you, that God is working through the events of your life, that God is recreating, because that's what God did here with Noah. God recreated. And we cannot recreate. We do not create at all. God is the creator. And the only way we can experience God's recreation is to be open to a relationship with God and to walk with God and then to obey God. And when we obey God, like Noah, we get to be instruments in this world that change the world because that's what Noah did. It is through Noah that we get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Jesus. It is through Noah that you and I are here. Noah participated in recreation, not by doing the work himself, but by being available to God. God wants to recreate in the chaos of your life. But the only way you're going to experience that recreation is to spend time quietly with God. And it's not easy, but God will meet you there. And God will create change in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being our creator. And when life gets crazy and broken and upside down, I thank you for being a recreator who always works good through the bad. Help us, Lord, to learn to be disciplined enough to walk truly with you so that we can hear those things we need to obey so that we can be part of your recreation in this earth that is so broken and hurting. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.